Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. September, kind of crazy. It's September already. All right. Awesome. Thank you. We're alive. It's the 11 a.m. service. We're awake. It's great. Well, uh, as we get started this morning, I want to take us back 2,000 years to the heart of the Roman Empire. So not quite 2,000 years, more like 18 or 1,900 years to the second and third centuries A.D., By this time, Christianity had spread from kind of this small sect in Judea uh, out to the whole Roman Empire. And Rome wasn't quite sure what to make of of these people who called themselves Christians. So they looked in from the outside and they said things like, I think these people are cannibals because they talk about eating the body and bread of Jesus. And, and they accuse them of being guilty of incest because they called one another brothers and sisters. So they're kind of looking in on the outside, not sure what to make of this group of people. But one thing they know is that they do not like them because they perceive them to be a threat, a threat to Roman culture, a threat to Roman uh, power, a threat to Roman religion. And so they begin to persecute Christians. And this is the age in church history where martyrdom becomes so prominent. The Romans would round up Christians and force them to recant. If they didn't recant, they would become entertainment for the people, either by burning them at the stake or sending them into the arena where they would face the wild animals, the lions, or the gladiators. Now, something significant happens in the fourth century. Emperor Constantine becomes emperor. He becomes a Christian, and he makes Christianity, the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. So now Christians and the church go from a a place where where life was very unsafe and and unstable and dangerous into a place where they are now enjoying a, a good amount of cultural power. They go from being on the margins to to being in the center. And this seemed like a good thing for a lot of people, but, but the focus for the shift, the, the, the focus for the church began in many cases to shift from actually following Jesus to just trying to kind of hold on to this power that they now experienced. So in the middle of this, th- this group of Christians said, we want another way. And so what they did is they went out into the desert. These people become known as the desert fathers and mothers of the church. They go out into the desert in order to willingly give up some of the safety, some of the power, some of the privilege and protection that they enjoyed now as Christian citizens in Rome, to willingly give some of that up and put themselves in a place where they had to depend on God, where things were stripped away and their focus was narrowed in on the Lord again in a way that was true of their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents before them. Sometimes these people are called bloodless martyrs or white martyrs in contrast to the red martyrs. They were martyrs not in that they gave up their lives or spilled their blood for the sake of Christ and their faith, but because they willingly put themselves in situations that made them depend on the Lord in similar ways that they would have under persecution. So these These believers, then, as as the church kind of grew from here, there's always been a strain of the church that looks back and say, we we want to do that. We want to be white martyrs. You see, white martyrs recognize that when life is safe, it's actually harder to follow Jesus. 
that when you enjoy a position of, of power and comfort and security, that actually makes it more difficult to become like Jesus. And so there, there, there are people who say, well, well, we are going to willingly put ourselves in situations where we're going to make things harder so that we can remind ourselves of the need that we have for God. We're finishing up our study of the Lord's Prayer this morning. Our fourth week, looking at this, this great prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples and he gives to us. We've called the series, Teach Us to Pray, because that's the question that Jesus, the disciples bring to him. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And then Jesus gives us this prayer. We're going to look at the last two requests in this prayer today. And what we're going to see is what Jesus is trying to do in these last two requests is he's trying to remind us that we are not safe. On our own, we are not safe. We are not secure. We are, we are actually in grave danger. But we are not alone. God is with us and he promises to provide us what we need where we are. So we're going to look at the last part of the Lord's Prayer. And as we do, we're just going to be reminded of the fact that we are helpless. We're going to be reminded of the fact that we can't do much on our own. But we're also going to be encouraged by the fact that God is here with us and he gives us everything that we need where we are. Last week, we talked about how God gives us our daily bread. He provides for our physical needs. This week, we're going to look at how God provides for our spiritual needs. Over the course of this series, we've been uh, trying to be intentional, more intentional in our prayer lives. Just about cultivating a life of prayer, taking a few steps forward in our journey of prayer with the Lord, and specifically using the Lord's Prayer as a way to do that. So I want to invite you to stand one more time as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. We're in Matthew chapter 6. That's where the Lord's Prayer comes. That's the text we've been looking at. Verses 12 and 13 are our verses today, the last two verses of the prayer. Let's start by reminding ourselves of verse 12, words that we just prayed, where Jesus teaches us to pray, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is the ESV, the English Standard Version, that this wording comes from. It's a little bit different than the language that we've been using as we've been praying this prayer together. When we've gotten to this part, we've prayed, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The word debt is, it's, it's a little bit more literal. The word that Jesus uses here is actually the word for a financial debt, money that somebody owes to another person. But it's also clear that Jesus isn't just talking about money, he's talking about sins. That this is a prayer that God would forgive our sins, which is where the, the language of trespasses comes from. It's a prayer that God would forgive our sins, 
But there's a reason, I think, that Jesus uses the word debt. He's trying to get us to understand something about our sin. He's trying to get us to see that that our sin is not just some kind of generic brokenness, but our sin has created a debt that we owe to God. Our sin puts us in a position where we have violated God's law and, and we owe him something to make up for that. This, this is reminding us, this idea of a debt, it reminds us that, that we have worked ourselves into a situation that we can't work ourselves out of, that we are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to work our way out of this spiritual debt that we have before God. There's no amount of good that we can do to offset the bad. It's not that one day we will stand before God at the end of time and that he will put our good deeds and our bad deeds on a scale to see if the good outweighs the bad so that we can get into heaven. That's not how it works. There's no amount of good that we can do to pay back this debt. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're we're invited to acknowledge this to ourselves and to God, that we are powerless, we are helpless. But the Lord's prayer is a prayer for the helpless. It's a prayer for us to pray when we've come to the end of ourselves and we recognize that there's nothing that we can do to save us. And as we pray this prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, we are reminded of the fact that God has already saved us. We are reminded of the fact that Jesus has paid our debt. Sure, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, but Jesus has paid our debt for us. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says this, he says, You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Listen to that. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What is it that God nailed to the cross? He nailed his son Jesus to the cross and he nailed our debt there with him. He paid the price, right? He did what we could not do to save us. So that when we are in Christ, when we put our faith in him, God no longer holds our sin against us. He doesn't look at our debt. Instead, when he looks in our account, instead of seeing a deficit, he sees a surplus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. If you're here this morning and you have never asked God to forgive your sins, I hope that this morning can be an invitation to do that. To just come before the Lord and, and to admit that you are broken. I am broken. We, we are all broken. We all have this debt that we have created before God. Just to acknowledge that to God, he already knows it. Acknowledge it to yourself and look to Jesus as the object of your faith. That just means looking to Jesus, believing that he's the one who can help you out of the situation that you're in. Many of us here have, have done that already. We, we have placed our faith in Jesus. We've been reconciled to God. We have gone from being dead in our trespasses and sins to being alive to Christ. And so maybe when we hear this part of the Lord's Prayer, asking 
that, to, that Jesus would forgive our sins, that God would forgive our debts, we maybe think, well, well, this is not a prayer for me because I've already asked this. I've already been forgiven. But you see, the Lord's prayer is actually a prayer for believers. That when Jesus starts off this prayer and he says, our Father in heaven, he's giving a prayer for those who are children of God. That is those who have already placed their faith in Jesus, those who have already been forgiven by him and welcomed into the family of God. So why is it that Jesus then gives us this instruction to pray over and over and over again, God, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses. Why is it that we have to ask over and over again for forgiveness? You know, it's not because we've sinned again since the last time we prayed, like we've built up more of a debt that we need Jesus to pay off. When we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's not that we have more of a debt that now needs to be paid off. Rather, when we pray this prayer, we are making ourselves white martyrs. We're we're putting ourselves in a position. We're adopting a certain practice, the practice of confession, where we acknowledge that we need God. God, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There is nothing that we can do to fix the situation that we're in, to pay off our debt. God, we need you. We need you to restore. We need you to save. We put ourselves in this situation in prayer where we continually remind ourselves of this and confess our sins to the Lord. You know, I've got, I've got a couple of uh, prayer rhythms that I practice each day, some in the morning, some in the evening. Each morning, I start off my day, among other things, uh, in prayer, preaching the gospel to myself, reminding myself that I am in Christ and that as one who is in Christ, I have been completely forgiven. I have been completely welcomed into the family of God and there's nothing that I have done to deserve it. Just, I just want to start off my day reminding myself of that truth. And then in the evening, as I'm praying before bed, I, I, among other things, I kind of walk through my day with the Lord and I ask him to show me, where was I living in sin today? Where, where was I living today apart from you? Where was I doing my, things my own way instead of your way? God, would you just show me where I've been in sin today? And then I confess those things to the Lord. And then, God, I I need you. I need you to forgive me. Please forgive me. And then I preach the gospel to myself again. It's the practice of becoming white martyrs, where in prayer we put ourselves in a situation where we are continually reminded that we need the Lord. We need to depend on him. How do you start your day? Do you start it by reading the news? by jumping on social media, by by thinking about all of the things that you have to get done today? How do you end your day? Do you end it by turning on Netflix and just watching till you fall asleep or catching up on everything that you missed on Instagram that day or thinking about what's coming up the next day and maybe starting to worry about those things? Maybe we could start our day by preaching the gospel to ourselves, by reminding ourselves of what is true for those of us who are in Christ, that we are completely forgiven and we are completely accepted by God. And then just confessing our sin to the Lord, telling him what he already knows and receiving his love and forgiveness in the face of those things. Forgive us 
our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. This prayer for forgiveness, though, it doesn't stop with God's forgiveness of us. It also includes our forgiveness of others. And so if we look at verse 12 again, the first part we looked at, forgive us our debts. The second part, as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, there's a connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. And Jesus picks up on this just a couple of verses later, right after the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15, where he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Now, if these were the only verses that we had on, uh, on forgiveness, we, we might come to think that God's forgiveness of our sin is, is conditioned on our forgiveness of other people. That's, that's basically what it says, right? If you don't forgive people, you won't be forgiven. But when we read the whole counsel of God, we understand that God's forgiveness of our sins is not conditioned on anything that we can do. It's only conditioned on our putting our faith in Jesus, looking to him as the one who can fix us, who can heal us, who can forgive us. And so Jesus isn't saying that God's going to withhold our forgiveness if he looks at our lives and, see, and sees that we haven't forgiven other people. Rather, what he's saying is that it's the heart that has been forgiven that turns around and forgives. That if we have, have truly received forgiveness of God, then we will become the kind of people who go out and we forgive others in the same kind of way. A few years ago, I had a friend do something that felt like a, a complete stab in the back. What made this worse is that he didn't actually do something that hurt me. He did something that hurt somebody that I cared for. And when it happened, the situation was such that he made this decision, but the decision could have been undone and the painful consequences could have been reversed. And so I went to him and I talked over the course of a number of days and, and begged him to make another decision, to, to fix this wrong that he had done. And he didn't do it. And I was so hurt and I was so angry and I found my, my heart in a place where honestly, I just did not even want to forgive him. Eventually I was able to get there, but it took a long time to get there. Have you ever been there before where you've been hurt by somebody so badly that you just don't even want to forgive. Maybe it's a parent who abused or a spouse who has hurt in some significant way or a friend who has abandoned you or turned their back. Why is it that sometimes we have such a hard time forgiving? Is it because we haven't been forgiven by God? You know, this passage makes us ask that question and say sometimes that might be the case. That there may be some of us who who need to go back and say, have I really received forgiveness from the Lord? Scripture tells us to, to test ourselves, to see if we are in the faith. So that's, that's a good thing to do. God, have I really received forgiveness from you? But for me, I don't think that it was the case that I hadn't been forgiven by God. Rather, I think there was something else that was going on. And maybe this is the case for you too. That even though my sins had been forgiven, even though I had placed my faith in Jesus and, and, and been made alive in him and been reconciled to God, yet there was an inner transformation that had yet to take place. That I had not yet fully developed the character of Christ to the point that I was able to forgive my friend in the same way that Jesus had forgiven me. You see, when we pray this prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, we ought to ask ourselves, 
Am I forgiving people the way that I want God to forgive me? See, I had made my forgiveness of my friend conditional on him changing his decision, of righting his wrong, undoing the damage that he had done. If he would have done that day one, I would have, it would have been easy to forgive. Is that the way that I want God to forgive me? Well, yeah, sure, Dan, I forgive you as long as you fix all of the wrongs that you've done, as long as you make things right, as long as you try to correct and compensate for your weaknesses and your errors. No, <laughs> I want a God who just pours out his love and grace and forgiveness on me. And that is exactly what God has done for us. So this prayer, it, it makes us wrestle with the hard truth that we cannot change ourselves. Right? We, we cannot save ourselves on the one hand, but we cannot change ourselves on the other hand. See, sometimes when we find ourselves in that position of, of wanting to forgive somebody or, or feeling like we should forgive somebody, but not being able to, sometimes the tendency is, it's to try to, to stir up forgiveness in ourselves, to, 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 to find it in ourselves to be able to forgive this somebody. But, but the, the first move, the first response shouldn't be to try to stir up forgiveness, but instead to go to God and say, God, I can't change myself. God, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive in this situation. And I can't just become the kind of person who wants to forgive. We can't just will sin out of our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so while we can't change ourselves, the good thing is that we have been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image of Jesus. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is transforming us into the image of Jesus. As we fix our eyes on him and behold his glory and his beauty, we are becoming like him, not in our own power, but in his power, the power that he provides. First, though, we need to admit that we are powerless. Alcoholics Anonymous was started by Christians and founded on Christian principles. You know what step one of AA is? Step one says this, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We admitted that we were powerless. This is what we need to do with our sin. When we're faced with the fact that we're not who we want to be, that we fall short, we're powerless to do anything about it. See, the problem and the danger for so many of us is that life still feels manageable. It still feels like we can kind of manage and control our sin enough so that, that we've kind of got things in control. That maybe we, th we think we can change ourselves. In the Lord's Prayer, though, we're recognized as we pray, God, forgive me the way that I forgive other people. We recognize that, that we don't have what it takes to move from partial conditional forgiveness to the unconditional, overwhelming love and forgiveness that Jesus has shown us. We need to admit that we're powerless over our sin and then open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit to bring about transformation. If you're anything like me, then the last 18 months of this pandemic has brought out some of the worst in you. There are some moments 
this year where just because of stressful circumstances or just the, the fatigue of how things have been going, that, that I was not my best, right? That I was my worst. When we find ourselves in those situations, there's an opportunity. We, we, we feel that need to depend on God more because we're faced with the hard reality that we can't change ourselves. Psychologists even have a, a term for this. It's called post-traumatic growth post-traumatic growth. It's the growth that we see in people after they've experienced some kind of trauma. Collectively, we have experienced trauma over the last 18 months, and we have an opportunity in that to depend on the Lord more and more and to open ourselves up to the transforming power of the Spirit. We need to remember in that, though, that not all of life is lived in a pandemic. Thank God, not all of life is lived in a pandemic. That there will come a day, and maybe you're there already today, where life feels manageable again. And so the task in that place is once again to become white martyrs. To, To go to the Lord in prayer, continuing to depend on Him, to remind ourselves of the truth that even when life feels manageable, we cannot change ourselves. We need to open up to the work of the Spirit to do that in us. We need God. We need God to save us. We need God to change us. And we also need God to protect us. And this is where Jesus goes in the last request of the Lord's Prayer. In uh, verse 13, these words that we've prayed many times together, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the last request that Jesus gives. It's kind of two in one, a negative and a positive. Don't Lead us into temptation. Do deliver us from evil. Now, it's not that God leads us into temptation. James James makes it clear that God does not tempt us. He might try us and test us to refine our faith, but he doesn't tempt us. Satan, however, does tempt us. Satan does uh, come along and try to pull us away from Jesus. So this is a prayer that Satan, the evil one, would not tempt us. And that when he does tempt us, that we would stand up against it, that we wouldn't give in. In the request to to deliver us from evil, that word evil, it can also be translated evil one. That's probably a better way to translate it. It's how the NIV and the New Living Translation translate it. And that's getting at the idea that it's, it's not just that there's some abstract evil, but that there is a personal evil. There is an evil force and an evil being behind that evil force. And his name is Satan. He's called the devil. He's called uh, the prince of the ruler of the air. He's called the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, the father of lies. And he's the enemy of God. And he hates God. And he hates God's people. And he wants nothing more than to pull us away from God into anxiety and darkness and lies. He wants to get us off mission. He wants to get us focused on ourselves instead of on God and his glory. He's not just some little cartoon uh, with with pointy ears and a pointy tail and a pitchfork. He's an enemy who is millions of times stronger than we are. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded of the hard truth that we are unable to protect ourselves. That against Satan and the forces of evil at work in this world, we are, we're vulnerable. 
we're completely unable to protect ourselves, that Satan will pull us away from God. He will lead us into darkness and sin if we are on our own. But the good news is that God has overcome the evil one. God has overcome the evil one. He has not left us on our own. He has overcome the evil one and he did it on the cross. If we go back to Colossians chapter two that we looked at before, where we were reading about God canceling our record of death. This is the very next verse, verse 15. He disarmed, that is God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's Satan and the demons. He disarmed them. He took away their power. Left on our own, we are vulnerable. But God has overcome the evil one. In uh, John Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress, we meet the main character, Christian, who's on this journey to the celestial city. He encounters all kinds of things along the way. At one point, uh, he comes to a lodge where he's hoping to spend the night. And uh, as he's approaching this lodge, he meets a character named Porter, who's going to help him pass this, through this narrow passageway. And, and this is what we read there. Looking very narrowly before him as he went, this is Christian, he espied two lions in the way. Now, thought he, I see the dangers that mistrust and timorous were driven back by. The lions were chained, but he saw not the chains. Then he was afraid, and he thought also to himself to go back after them, for he thought nothing but death was before him. But the porter at the lodge, whose name is Watchful, perceiving that Christian made a halt as if to go back, cried unto him, saying, Is thy strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained, and they are placed there for trial of faith where it is, and for discovery of those that have none. Keep in the midst of the path, and no hurt shall come unto thee. Then I saw he went on, trembling with fear of the lions, but taking good heed at the directions of the porter. He heard them roar, but they did him no harm. That's the situation that we find ourselves in, in this life. We have an enemy, Satan lion and he might roar and he might scare us and he might terrify us and and he might make us feel unsafe but he is chained he has been chained by Jesus in his death and resurrection on the cross the power of Satan has been stripped he still has some dominion here he still has some presence here we might hear him roar but no harm will come to us can't save ourselves, but God has saved us in Christ. We cannot change ourselves, but God has given us his spirit to bring change from the inside out. And we may not be able to protect ourselves against the evil one, but God has overcome the evil one so that we have nothing to fear. Over the course of this series, we we have been trying to, to take a few steps forward and our journey of prayer. I'm not sure where you are in your journey of prayer. 
but I hope that you've been able to take some steps forward. The steps forward, though, have to start with us recognizing our inability to accomplish much of anything on our own. So we've seen in this prayer, especially the last two weeks, we can't provide bread for ourselves. We can't, we can't provide for our, our physical needs. We can't, we can't provide for our spiritual needs in, in forgiveness and protection and inner transformation. There's not a lot that we can do. But there's one thing that we can do. We can pray. We can pray to our Father who is in the heavens. We can pray, God, would you make your name holy and famous? Would you bring your kingdom here in power so that more people submit to your lordship and so that your will is done here on earth? God, would you give us what we need for today and would you deal with this problem of sin that we cannot deal with ourselves? Would you keep us safe? Would you protect us? Would you keep us on the path? There's not a lot that we can do, but we can pray. And so my hope for us is that we would continue taking steps forward in our journey of prayer, that you would continue taking steps forward in your journey of prayer. We've made these bookmarks for you today. They were on the table when you came in, in the lobby. Uh, If you didn't grab one, you can grab one on your way out. It just has the text of the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know many of us know this prayer. We maybe have it committed to memory. The purpose of this bookmark, though, is that we could put this someplace where we will see it. Maybe it's in your Bible. Maybe it's in another book. Maybe it's on your bedside table or in your bathroom mirror. We put this someplace where we would see it to remind ourselves to pray so that we could become praying people, people who pray this prayer or use this prayer as a model to pray other prayers. So I hope you can take one of these on your way out and just continue to take steps forward in your journey of prayer. As Paul said earlier, we want to hear a little bit about what that's been like for you over the past month and what what you hope that might be like going forward. So we're going to do some life together after this next song. I just want to give you the prompts. Again, this is an open mic time. There'll be a mic that you can come up to and just share something in response to these two questions. What has, what has been your experience of prayer over the last month? And how, how have you uh, experienced God in prayer over the course of our time together in this series? That's backward looking. And then also forward looking, what do you hope to experience in prayer going forward? So just keep those questions in mind. Uh, and think if you might want to, to just share with us for, for the, all of our edification a little bit about what you've been processing in this. Before this last song, let me just pray as a way of bringing us back into worship in the presence of the Lord. God, we thank you so much for these words that you have given us, powerful words, words that we can pray when we get to the end of ourselves and recognize that there's nothing that we can do. Lord, we know we cannot do much, that we don't bring anything of value to you, that you don't need us, you don't need our prayers or our praise to feel better about yourself, but you have given us this gift of prayer so that we could begin to experience you in conversation with you and grow deeper in our relationship with you so that we could lay our burdens in your your loving hands and trust that though we may be 
uh, unsafe apart from you, we are so incredibly safe with you. So God, would you save us? Lord, would you change us into the image of Jesus? Would you protect us from Satan and the temptation that he would bring our way? Lord, would you allow us to experience life and love and healing and wholeness and forgiveness in you? Thank you, Jesus, that you came down, that you died for us, and that you have invited us into a loving relationship with you. We love you, Lord.